Welcome to Chit Chat Money. Today is Tuesday, uh, July 6th. Today we have an interview with Sinstock Poppy. We talk about uh, Swedish Match, Evolus, uh, Sinstocks in general. He has an interesting approach. He's a young investor like ourselves. Um, and I, I, fair warning, I guess there was some explicit content. So don't. Yeah, we have that explicit label on here, but typically we keep it family friendly. So if you have some young kids, maybe in the car, uh, you might, you know, there might be a few moments here you don't want to listen to. Just want to put that warning out there. But anyways, uh, after the interview, we're going to be talking about our stories for the week. Some really interesting ones. We actually ended up having the same ones. So I let you take them. Uh, what are you talking about? Yeah, we got Robinhood S1. Going to go through some of the exciting risk factors there. Probably talk about the business as well. Didi got shut down or, well, uh, Beijing, down, Beijing took a big crackdown at Didi, which is the Uber of China. So we'll talk about those developments. And then all the rich guys announcing that they're going to launch themselves into space, which is fun. Really fun way to wrap it up. Yeah, it's kind of a... Uh Battle of the egos, if you will. Exactly. Um, but before we get to the interview, we want to talk about our sponsor, our friends, Seven Investing. Now, I've gotten the time to digest their July picks. One in particular that I really like, and I guess no surprise. Ooh, let me let me guess. Matt's or Dan? yes, Matt. Interesting. Uh, Dan's a good too. Um, I, I I thought a lot of them were good. Uh, one of them, Honor Bonds Business. I really really like. Um, that's, that's as far as I'll go. Uh, and we've, we've discussed it between you and I, uh, but yeah, Matt's, it's kind of one that's under your nose. You, uh, you, you know it exists, but you just don't pay that much attention to it. And I was unaware it was actually public, pretty compelling and either way, great research. Like we always say for anyone. And if you want to sign up, uh, do that today with our code CCM, get $10 off your first month. Go that's check right. it out. Great service. All right. Without further ado, here's your interview with Sinstock Poppy. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. All right. Today, we are welcomed by Sinstock Poppy. Uh, we, I guess we all met through Twitter, uh, the Twitterverse. And first of all, uh, we just talked about it before the show, but I like the name. Uh, do you want to give us a little bit of background about you, how you got into the world of investing, and then maybe why the name Sinstock Poppy? Yeah, so first I just want to say thank you to Brett and to Ryan for having me on. And uh, you know, it's a real pleasure to be on here. Uh, so the way I got into investing was actually an accident. So I went to a school where extracurriculars were mandatory, but I played like really high level hockey. So like I missed the club fair because I was at hockey practice and they kind of just like placed me in the business club. Uh, so I was lucky one of my buddies, Colin, was in the club with me and we did like a stock market simulator. This is grade nine. Okay. So I have no knowledge about investing. And literally we won the stock market simulator by putting 50% of our money into Apple because we thought the phones were cool and we had the laptops. And we put the other 50% into Lululemon because we were grade nine boys and we liked the way the girls asses looked at them. So we're like, this is a great product. This is a seller. This is going to win. That's so like it was... 
Exactly. It was pretty simple, you know? Um, uh, so we had like, or I had early success and it was like lucky, but I was like, okay, I'll stick with it. So I went to university at one of the big business programs in Canada called uh, Queens Commerce. And then I kind of parlayed that into two buy-side internships while I was there during my summers. Um, so one of them was like a spinoff of Burgundy Asset Management. And the other one was kind of modeled after uh, Francois Rochon's uh, Giverney. Um, so I read a lot of books on investing because I was fascinated by it and I wanted to pursue a career in it. Um, and I studied a lot of like, I guess, like past investments of both of the funds, um, kind of where they were successful and where they weren't. And I kind of built that into like my own like framework and understanding of investing. Um, so, you know, just basically I find the game intellectually stimulating and enjoyable and I like to win. I'm a competitive person. So I think this is just like the perfect field for that. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Oh, and then, uh, why, why sin sock poppy? Uh, yeah, uh, it was just a play on Drake's Instagram handle. So Drake's champagne poppy. So I thought Sin Sock Poppy was pretty clever. Um, and then just with Sin Socks in general, uh, you know, I think that, or I have kind of a bucket uh, for investments, uh, which I call limbic capitalism. Uh, and it focuses more on businesses that have persistent habit formation. Uh, you know, and I think we all know how hard it can be to quit uh bad habits. So uh, I think that basically all these, you know, addictive limbic capitalistic businesses can one way or another be categorized uh, under sin. Um, and I think that, you know, the concept of sin is very Lindy, uh, you know, sin has been around for 5,000 years. So I think that it'll be around for 5,000 more. And I think even as the world changes around us, the one constant that'll never change will be human behavior. Um, and that's what I'm looking to exploit. As in stock poppy. All right. Yeah, that's a good um, introduction. And you have been, you know, doing a lot of stuff on Twitter. You said you mentioned you're doing a new newsletter-ish around sin stocks. Is that coming along? Is that coming out shortly? Yeah. So like I don't know whether I would say it was like, or I'm trying to make like a newsletter. It's kind of more so like I would say more so like a blog. So kind of like like a free thing, but like kind of a way for me to share more long form. Um, theses and kind of get feedback from a lot of the smart people who are on Twitter. Um, Cause you know, like you're always trying to iterate and get better as an investor. So like you guys are like young, I'm young. Like it's just a way to get feedback from some of these older dudes who are like probably like seasoned vets. You know what I mean? Right. No, I mean, it's great. I, you know, a thread can be good. You can do a 15 thing thread, but sometimes yeah. summarizing some slide decks, you got to really, you know, put pen sometimes if you're going to get the actual idea out there. So, yeah, I mean, it's exactly get that real feedback. Mm -hmm. All right, we uh, we're going to talk Swedish Match and Evelis today. Uh, and Swedish Match is a company that Brett and I have been looking at a lot recently. And if you, we were kind of talking about it before the show, uh, and I don't want to spoil your thesis, but they own Zinn. So it's very popular among younger demographics. So why don't you kind of just talk the overall thesis? Why do you like the stock? Yeah, so I think it's basically a capital light compounder that sells an addictive use product. It's got phenomenal brand loyalty, as you talked about. It's huge on college campuses. It's got a long runway for growth. It's less than 1% of total global tobacco spend. And that global tobacco spend is growing two to 4% per year. It's roughly 820 billion. Um, and just basically in a nutshell, 
uh, it's an adaptation of Buffett and Munger's investment at Coca-Cola, right? Like addictive product, huge market, pricing power, capital light, like it's just got everything you want. And the great thing about Zen is that the alternatives either kill you, like smoking and like dipping, or there's like a glaring user experience problem, right? Like smoking, you smell like, like you smell like cigarettes. Your mom's going to find like lighters in your like jeans or something that has happened to me. Like, you know, like, like you need a spitter, like you can't use it in the office. So it's really like, it's a win-win for the consumers and the companies. Cause like you get to live longer, you have a better user experience. There's no mess and you get to be free from long tail medical risk. But then the company also gets to milk you for a longer period of time because your average life expectancy goes up by 10 years, right? So I think the end game is pretty obvious. Consumers want to live longer. And, you know, I think the most interesting thing about this whole category in general uh, of reduced risk products is that nicotine usage is actually increasing, not decreasing, increasing globally for the first time in like, I don't know, like 30 years or something like, or, or sorry, since, since 1994. So last time you had like nicotine usage increasing in the U.S., was like actually during like the grunge period. So like you guys are from the Northwest, like all those grunge bands from like the like right, mid nineties, right. like that was the last time really. So I think that now you've got 50% of entrance or sorry, entrance into the pouch category that are first time nicotine users. And I think in the States, at least you've got a pretty strong brand flywheel. So that's, that's driven by social proof. And I think barring any game changes and the speed of nicotine delivery, because Oral nicotine has a slower absorption rate, like, like it hits your brain and your bloodstream slower than smoking. If, if they can bring that to parity, then that's like game, set, match, in my opinion. Okay. So right now, the um, say the value proposition, to put it in that way, to the, the smoker is a little bit different. So getting someone to adapt to the nicotine pouches, it might not give as much of a a pop or a hit as a, as a, as a cigarette does. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it might not do that, but the one thing that it does score better on is the, the length of delivery. Hmm. So, so like, it'll depend, like the user experience benefits are clearly better, right? Like you're not going to die. You're not going to smell bad. You can use it in the office. Right. Like, but I think that one of the reasons that historically oral tobacco has been so small compared to, uh, like smoking uh, has been the speed of delivery. So if you think about like other drugs, like if you think about people who are addicted to drugs, like it's either like they're shooting needles or they're smoking it, right? Like you smoke crack, you smoke meth, you smoke cigarettes, like, or you shoot heroin. Like I've never heard of anyone who was addicted to gumming cocaine. Like, you know what I mean? Like they're not addicted to gumming cocaine. They rail cocaine, right? So like, I think that that's one aspect that if you bring that to parity and I think, you know, like I'm not a scientist, but the science guys are probably working on this. Like these are very profitable companies. Like if you get that, then that's like a game changer. Yeah. It's interesting to see what that development is. And that kind of goes into the next question. And, you know, the main thesis for Swedish match is the growth of Zen and the volume. So I guess the question, Mm -hmm. how do they continue to grow that over the next few years? Yeah. So I'll start off with what, Altria thinks, and then I'll go into what I think. So Altria is like the, is the U.S. division of Philip Morris. Um, they own like uh, Copenhagen, Skoll, uh, and uh, Marlboro cigarettes. 
So they think that volumes are going to grow about 20 to 25% per year uh, through 2026. So that's five-year CAGR and that's volumes. But if you layer in like the 6% annual price increases, which is pretty standard in like MST or, you know, like dip, like then that's essentially like 26 to 31% a year in the US alone, like for the dollar value of the category. Uh, so if you want to break down how I think about the growth, then like it's two ways kind of like uh, you've got the opportunity to increase the frequency of use intraday because you can now use this at the office. It's easier to hide. You don't have to worry about like, you know, going to the bathroom to vape, right? Like, or going outside to smoke a cigarette. Um, so that's one aspect. Uh, uh, but then the next one is like the geographic and user expansion, because I think we've all like talked about it, like it's a better mousetrap, just simple and plain. Uh, and they aren't even 1% of the $820 billion that is total, like, like is spent globally on tobacco. And that 820 billion is growing two to 4% per year. So in terms of like TAM penetration, like this thing is like, like not even 1% of the way there. Um, and then as we talked about the speed of delivery, if you can really get that up to par with inhalation, then that's game, set, match, um, in my opinion. Doesn't say what, I guess, what do you think about some of the other oral nicotine competitors? I know this is some on is the brand that I think ultra has, and they talk about it a lot. Mm -hmm. You see them being able to scale up and compete with Zen. What sort of advantages do you think Zen has? Uh, and and it's any? because, you know, Zen has been losing market share in the U S mm -hmm. over the past, at least few quarters, if not steadily over the past few years, they're still the clear leader, but it, they are. Yeah. 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 No, I agree. Um, so I don't really think of it as a concern because the more the big boys push the category, the faster the volume growth in the category will be, and it'll really like accelerate the social acceptance aspects. So I think what's more informative than the declining volume share, because Altria and British American Tobacco have like run heavy promotions selling products at you know 99 cents, or they're even giving away tins for free, is the dollar share. So when you look at the dollar share, Zin still has over 70% share of the total category spent. That's a lot. Uh, and after the big boys and their promotions, their volumes typically fall off at the store level. So Zin actually, if you look at the data, has greater velocity at the store level. So that's higher cans per store per week, despite having average selling prices throughout the, like, throughout the quarters that are roughly 70% higher. So Zin, the average selling price is, I think, $4.95. For On, it's around $2.93. And then for uh, British American Tobacco, it's something like $2.40 something, right? So like those are really big differences. Like the difference between Zin and uh, Velo is like almost like 50%, right? So I think that the market is telling you like this is the winner, or at least in the States, it's the winner. Uh, what What is fascinating though is that um, in Scandinavia, uh, they haven't really been able to win share against British American Tobacco uh, because British American Tobacco is winning by a pretty large margin. Uh, and that's pretty like, or I'd say it's pretty noticeable to me because that's their backyard, right? Like they should be winning, right? So kind of what that tells me is that the advantages aren't coming because of scale because they're able to price higher, the lower prices 
aren't really, I guess, making that much of a dent in their dollar share. What it kind of tells me is that it's really driven by a first mover advantage. And then there's a kind of stickiness uh, at the consumer level. And that's driven by a combination of social proof and then shelf space with distributors and like cognitive reference that kind of like sort of act in a positive feedback loop that kind of drive sales. So it's like almost like a flywheel. So I think that what the real competitive advantage is, is that mindshare is the brand. And I think that it's hard to build a brand in tobacco or in an industry, like a new brand, because there's like an inability to advertise. Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, the comparisons to soda are pretty stark. Um, I have two other questions that I maybe want you to hit on. What are your thoughts on the international growth? And then what kind of, I know you've been tweeting about the incremental margins in TAP. So what are kind of the unit economics of, of these nicotine pouches? Insane, bro. The unit economics are insane. Uh, I forget what it was, but I think like if you take the average, so obviously they don't break out what their margins are on Zen, right? But you can kind of guesstimate. So the incremental margins in their US business are 73%. So if you take the incremental operating income, you work backwards to an incremental NOPAT, so uh, net operating profit after tax, you get your number there. And then you look at their incremental spend on CapEx. So you can say, okay, we know from past years, Zen wasn't there. So we can kind of say that maintenance CapEx is maybe 3% or 3.3% of revenue. So you can work out what the incremental CapEx is. So the return on incremental CapEx is like 184%, which is insane. And that's like, like just the capital they spent. Like that doesn't adjust for the company doing buybacks or like capital returns. Like that's the pure return on on like the invested capex and then if you look at i think on fixed assets it's like even better so it's like close to 200% return on every dollar that they invest that's that's pretty damn good <laughs> what do you what do you think of the other uh, businesses that swedish match has do you like having sort of that diversified portfolio um, Oh, uh, I forget the brands. Uh, uh, is Red, it Red Man? Red, Red Man. Or I guess the lighters too. Would you rather nah. see them kind of get rid of that? <laughs> I or? mean, that's like 3%. Probably. Yeah. Get, like, like my thesis mainly hinges on the smokeless um, and uh, the, the cigars business. So I think the cigars business is really interesting too. Like they had over 20% volume growth in the category over the past three quarters, year over year. Uh, and then they took 6% price. So the incremental margins on their cigars business last year was 77%, like operating margins, which is like insane. Like, is that sustainable? I don't know, but I thought that was pretty interesting. And cigars is a category that's growing like low double digits per annum, like through the next decade, right? So like, like even like Cam Newton, like Cam Newton has a show like on BET now where like it's called Sip and Smoke where like he interviews like, I guess like people who are successful in the black community and it's like cigars, right? So that's product placement. So like, you're only going to help the category grow. Um, But the other question I think you had earlier was on international growth. And I think that the Nordics and North America are kind of unique in that like dipping is like normalized here. Like if you went to like the Middle East and you did that, like, they wouldn't like do that, right? Like 
they have like shishas, right? Like they have like those shisha towers. Like I don't know if you guys ever been to a shisha bar, but like smoking there is like more normal. So like, that's kind of what I see. It's like, you're going to have to slowly convert these people if they even like adapt to it at all. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Going after the, they went after the easy markets and now it's going to be a little bit more, you know, uh, it's going to be more difficult. So don't just expect them to go after this TAM immediately and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 And then I guess the last question we have here. So, you know, the big question people have with all these sin products and especially with anything related to tobacco, which, you know, technically nicotine pouches aren't tobacco, but it's, it's, it's nicotine. Um, do you think there's a threat of it going the way of, you know, jewel and vaping with the big crackdown from the FDA and the regulators? And that could that, impact the business uh have you thought about that at all i have thought about it but i don't think so because if you look at the cdc survey uh for 2020 the usage incidence of smokeless uh which includes nicotine pouches is only 2.3 percent vaping on the other hand was like 25 percent at peak so these guys are government employees or regulators right like they're not going to go out of their way to create more work for themselves unless like they think that, you know, something like vaping, one in four kids is going to cost them their job, right? Like you have angry parents writing in. So vaping at peak was like one in four high school kids, whereas like we are like a little over one in 40, probably like one in 41. So that's like a pretty big difference. Um, but I did mention that 50% of pouch customers are new nicotine entrants. So Swedish Match doesn't say that. And I think that's deliberate to keep regulators off their backs. But like you already like alluded to the fact, right? Like it's growing like a weed on college campuses. Um, so I think that that purchase incidence probably happens after they leave the high school uh, ecosystem. Um, so that's why I think like the probability is low. If they ban flavors, I think that's how they would do it. They would ban flavors. I still think you're going to see a stickiness amongst like, because you're going to have a flow of customers coming from MST, right? From from debt, because there's still clear user experience benefits. Um, but you might have some drop off from people who switch to gums, maybe. But even worst case scenario, like MST does like five to 7% per year growth. And that's like, most of that's pricing, right? Like 6% pricing is like conservative in MST. Like Stokers is the lowest and cheap value play and they take 5% pricing per year. Like I want to say some of the bigger boys are probably pushing 9%. Like they probably did 9% last year, maybe somewhere between seven and nine. So worst case scenario is still pretty good. Like it's really good. What, and then that's when you say the big boys, you mean the, what Swedish match owns, like Redman, stuff like that? Is that what you're referring no, to? No, no, no. Sorry, okay. sorry. I, I, I meant like Copenhagen, like Grizzly, Skull. Okay, okay. Uh, but, but getting back to Redman, like, so like when I was in grade 10, like that's when I first started dipping. And like most of the guys on my hockey team had already started dipping before. And that sounds messed up, but like, that's the reality of it. Like that's what goes on in these locker rooms. Like kids are doing it that early, but like I knew guys who would like strictly only chew red man. Cause like it would make them look hard. You know what I mean? It'd make you seem like you were a beauty, right? Like you get extra beauty points if you chew red man. So like, I've never actually personally chewed red man, but I remember there was a guy on my team, uh, Megzy, you called him Megzy. 
Megsy would always have a bag of uh, the red men long cut or like, like, like whatever it's called. I think it's like long cut or something like that, but like he would have it. And at, like everyone just thought he was the biggest beauty because he would use it. Yeah. Like, I mean, the, or go ahead, man. I was going to say, do you think there's less incentive for crackdown against uh, the oral nicotine pouches because they offer better benefits to compared to like cigarettes? Like, you or, think, or even vaping. Yeah. Do you think regulators are less encouraged to kind of crack down on it because of that? I think that is the reason. Yeah. Um, I think regulators, just because the incidence is so low, right. And because, because the incidence is so low amongst high school students from that, from the CDC survey, it probably tells you that, okay, either this is going on at college. So these are adults making adult decisions or these are adults making the decision to switch from cancerous tobacco products to a product that doesn't kill them. And, you know, this is a good thing, not a bad thing for society. Yeah. And then I guess on top of that one, it just, from uh, the people who get angry, which would basically be parents is kind of the Kickstarter there into the government. It just instinctually, I think people have a problem with the vaping. I don't know whether <laughs> it's just the image they have in their mind. And that's a problem with vaping, but with nicotine pouches, it's almost the opposite where no one even knows. And maybe the incidence rate is so low because no one even knows that these people are doing it, which, which is fantastic for, uh, from, I guess, um, a shareholder standpoint, but that might be some other mm-hmm. issue. It's also, and then yeah. it's actually healthy. Like yeah. there's no problems with it. It's just nicotine. Yeah. Yeah. Like society- I was just going to say like societally with dip, at least, anecdotally from where i'm from it is kind of ugly to have like that dip whatever bottle like the spit bottle like no one wants to see that and no then, yeah yeah and then yeah. the smoking side or the vaping is just less like it's so people can see it and it feels kind of intrusive whereas zen like no one really cares yeah for sure exactly it's 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 literally like a nicotine like gum yeah. Right. Like it's it's closer. I think in a regulator's mind, they view it as being closer to a nicotine gum than to being uh, something like MST or like dip. And like the thing you were talking about, like the spitters, right? Like you don't have a spitter. You don't have to worry about like accidentally swallowing dip spit if you don't have a spitter. Like it just solves a lot of the problems. And I think girls go ahead. Girls won't make you brush your teeth after you have a dip. Like if you want to kiss them, like that's a pretty big thing, man. Like I was talking to uh, another guy on Twitter who's, uh, he's a coach now for, I think one of like the Minnesota uh, university, like uh, hockey teams, like, like their club hockey team. Um, but he was saying like, he's like the main reason like I switched was cause like my girlfriend was like, I'm not going to give you, like, I'm not going to kiss you anymore unless like you like make the switch or it's like, unless you brush your teeth and he's just like, fuck it, I'm going to get this like nicotine pouch. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And it, on top of that, I think it expands the market potentially to a lot more customers who would never dip, but might be casual users of a nicotine pouch. Yeah, I think if you actually look at the category volume growth, so the volume growth for, if, if you combine like MST, which is dip, and nicotine pouches, the composite of that grew 8% uh, in 2020 but Swedish match grew their composite volumes like 40%. So it's like clearly like they're doing something right here. Yeah, for sure. All right. Anything else, Ryan? No, I think we're going to have an ad break and then we'll talk Evolus on the back half.
This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Here you are, miles from home and ready to start your vacation. Good thing you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. They have free high-speed Wi-Fi to stream all your favorite movies. And in the morning, get fresh waffles with their free bright side breakfast. Or squeeze in a workout at their fitness center. Either way, you're ready to conquer the day. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you triumph. Book your stay at LQ.com. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? <sighs> all blocked, thanks to advanced security. Included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Welcome back in. Uh, we're going to hit Evolus. We just finished up with Swedish Match. Uh, and if you are a listener to some of our other shows, we just covered them on one of our deep dives. Fascinating business. Uh, but Sinstock, you have covered them as well. So kind of what's your thesis uh, with Evolus? And, and I might add, can you explain it a bit? Because you know the name doesn't imply anything. No one really yeah, so Ebulus is essentially just a, a Botox uh, kind of competitor. So Botox mainly focuses on aesthetic, but also medical uh, procedures, whereas Juvo is a purely aesthetic solution. So it's just basically, you know, the stuff, if you see Kylie Jenner, you've seen her lips, how they changed. She got fillers, and that's what this is. So it's just basically a filler that costs less for plastic surgeons. So I think the thesis is pretty simple. You have a generation of boys and girls who grew up on social media and they have extreme body dysmorphia. And the result is that you're going to see an increase in spending on plastic surgery, especially because like Instagram, I don't care what people say about Tinder, but Instagram is the number one dating app. Like, let's say if you're, let's say you're a female or something, and let's say you can change your appearance, right? Like that's a pretty solid investment. Like I know it's not politically correct to say, but like, you're going to like, like I have a friend who's a girl who like got fillers and now she's dating some dude in Miami who's like loaded. And like, I guess that's like, like it's a bad thing to say, but it's like, it's like the reality of it. So like, again, getting back to the benefits from like the, the, the med spa operator side is that you get an 18% increase in profit per, per unit used. Uh, and then you also use more units of Juvo versus Botox. So people are coming in for treatments every three months versus every four to six months, uh, depending on the alternative, if it's Juvederm or if it's Botox. So there's like a double bottom line benefit there to the plastic surgeon or the med spa operator. Um, so like uh, basically like in some cases, uh, practitioners who have moved uh, their, like, or a portion of their Botox uh, budget to Juvo have seen bottom line improvements of like a million dollars or more. So there's a real incentive uh, to switch. And I think you see that in their 70% growth. So I think at maturity, this can be a really capital efficient business because it's primarily intangibles based. Um, and there aren't a lot of competitors. So it should, it should in theory have great margins. Yeah, and then they don't actually manufacture the product. They're basically a middleman with the IP because they have that Korean pharmaceutical manufacturer making the stuff. And then one interesting thing I saw when I was reading the 10K is that Daewong has to sell Juvo to Evolus. And Juvo is the product, just so we're clear, that Evolus has. Mm -hmm. That's the competitor to Botox. 
they have to sell it to Juvo at a fixed price, which mm-hmm. basically anytime Avalos raises prices on the med spot people, which, you know, they probably can't because they're trying to be the low cost provider, but it's all incremental margin for them. Uh, exactly. I just think that sets them up to do, do pretty well. And then we'll, I guess Ryan has another question too, but what, what are your thoughts on their advertising techniques? It seems like what they were saying is that they really like, they get with a doctor and then they just mm-hmm. flood the market within like a 15 or 30 mile radius of that place with either billboards and then social media advertising. It seems like that's a really smart way to get these young customers and switch them over from Botox or, or switch older customers over from Botox as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm not as familiar with, I guess, like their market specific marketing campaigns, but I think, I guess if you're looking at the sales, like they do seem to be working. Uh, I don't know as much about this industry as I would say, like, as I know about uh, tobacco or I know about nicotine products, but I think what, is interesting is just the velocity of their sales increases. And I guess kind of getting back to how do you get people to try the product? I think that what I have seen about them is that they've been organizing meetups at the med spas. So it's kind of like come and like enjoy a treatment, bring your friends. Like it's, it's, it's more of a social kind of friendly atmosphere. And I think that makes people more inclined to, to switch, if, if that makes sense. Do, do you think that physicians or these med spas will naturally start to adopt it because of the financial benefits to them? Or do you think that Evelis is going to have to spend a lot of money on sales to try to garner yeah, that? Yeah, is it a sacrifice on their... I think that you have to spend initially to like get over the hump to get someone to switch. But then once you switch, they're in there for good because like they're going to see the benefit to their bottom line, right? The big problem that people who haven't switched to it already have is they're worried about the integrity of the product, right? Because if you're a med spa operator, if you're a plastic surgeon, your quality, right? The quality of your work is how you get paid. So I think that once they get over that initial mental hurdle, then like the dominoes will fall into place. Like it's still so small, as a percentage of the market in a total med spas that like that tipping point hasn't happened yet. What? So do you think Botox could sort of reverse course and go lower cost if they started to lose market share to Uvo or Juvo, however you say? <laughs> we don't know. For We always show we have no idea if we're saying it right or wrong. <laughs> I, I have no idea either, but I think it would probably be Juvo just because it sounds like Juvederm. No. So like, it sounds similar, so that could be like a like it would play well in like consumers' minds, um, or in the plastic surgeons or med spa operators' minds. Um, but sorry, could, could you repeat your question? Could Botox reverse course and kind of go lower prices um, to compete more with Uvo or Juvo? I don't think that they would because the market is growing so fast. And also, like, it's a more comprehensive product, right? It has non-aesthetic use cases also. Uh, but then, like, the bigger one is, the, like, the CEO, right? He's got to hit his numbers. Otherwise, he gets fired, right? And the board has to hit their numbers, too. Other, like, like, you know what I mean? So there's a real, like, short-term, myopic, quarterly focus in public markets. If they reduce prices, then, like, their stock's going to tank. Yeah. Yeah, and so I think that's very about, 
now they're a part of AbbVie. So they're just mm-hmm. kind of in this giant bureaucratic biotech company. Um, exactly. Maybe, maybe saying bureaucratic is, uh, maybe AbbVie has some sort of decentralized structure, but it, it's kind of that counter positioning deal where you could see people having the flexibility to do whatever they want because they're the new entrants. Um, but one thing, you know, we haven't seen in the income statement yet because they just got past those legal issues uh, mm-hmm. just last quarter. Uh, what kind of margins Jugo could have? So have you done any analysis on that? Uh, of what kind of profit margins, I guess, Evolus on, uh, on the whole could have at scale? I think at scale. So you talked about South Korea. Um, so there's a company in South Korea called Hugel. So if you look at them, uh, they've got 40% plus operating margins. And then I think uh, the unit inside AbbVie where they house uh, like Botox, they've got probably more than 50% operating margins. So that's kind of where I think they could go. And then obviously back out the royalty payments, but even still like this is a 70% gross margin business operating subscale. So the general direction, like don't overthink it. like the margins are going higher and they're going way higher. This is like a SaaS product, right? Like they're spending on that, like, so the early spend is to capture uh, that initial relationship. And then as you go throughout time, that's a recurring purchase, right? It's a consumable and they're gonna have pricing power, especially because it's priced lower than than Botox. Uh, Have you looked at the legal legal settlement at all? No, and I'm not a lawyer. So I cannot give you any special differentiated insights um, on the legal settlement. But I think if like you just got to like whatever I think Hugel is, I'm going to build an income statement like that. And then whatever the royalty rate is, I'm just going to clip that off a of revenue and then just keep the cost the same. And then that's how you would kind of figure out the, the margin. Yeah, because uh, if I remember it correctly, they have the long term royalty payment that they said was mid single digit. Uh, as a percentage yeah. of sales until 2032. So, you know, that's a, whatever you think that would be, you know, the profit margins might be 30% instead of 40%, but still really, really high. I mean, they had those insane, insane, but double digit royalty payments and their gross margins were still north of 50%. So, you know. Yeah. So, so you said that they were high mid single digits? Uh, long-term was. Long-term was mid single digit. They do not disclose and i'm just reading that from the 10k so it's mid single digit to uh and it might just be international i can't even remember it's a bit complicated people should go read that up themselves but yeah to some company until 2032 that's the one that's going to really impact that for for a long time okay so let's just say midpoint okay so five percent is what the royalty is just as an assumption so we said 40 percent operating margins at scale so that means operating costs are 60 60 cents right because you're making 40 percent in profit so if you just take down the revenue to 95 right five five percent royalty then your margin just goes down to 35 percent yeah still pretty damn good. so yeah it's still awesome so like i don't think that's a a big i guess negative and they're so capital light because it's it's all intangible space right it's all science based it's all based on those was guys in a lab somewhere with lab coats doing experiments. Like, I don't know, I'm not a scientist, but that's what I picture. And it's like, it's a good business. Like, don't overthink it, right? Like the same way that you, you were talking about earlier, like you see Zen on campus. Like if you go out and you look at the girls in our age group, because we're all fairly young, like you see the trend. 
Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I I'm mean, a- it's undeniable. Like the, the, the social media filters, well, it might sound dark, the social media filters and how they make people look online can really discourage how people look in real life. And exactly. That's just how the world works. Right I have tons of friends who are like, really like, I would say like girls who are like good looking and they even use Facetune. Every single girl uses Facetune, right? To like edit their, and Facetune is like an app that makes like, allows you to edit like your face. It's like Photoshop, but like for your iPhone and they all use it. And it's like, I know that's pretty dark, but it's like, this is not something that's going away. It's a genie that's been let out of the bottle, social media, filters, Facetune. All we can think about as investors is how we can make money from it. And then maybe, you know, we can donate to causes, um, you know, like after we become rich. (laughs) It's a third party party market, you know, come on. Yeah, exactly. I'm more than investing. Last question. So what are, we've said about this a bit, but what are the thoughts on the growth of the plastic surgery and injections market? And that is that just a tailwind that will really be a rising tide of all boats here? I think we saw, and these are always just estimates, that the market is projected to grow like 10% each year over the next decade. Um, what are your thoughts on that in general? I think that's very low. Like, I think even if we just see it in real life, like, like you can see, like, you know what I mean? Just like girls that you know using it, like let's say this thing has pricing power. I don't know what the pricing power in this sort of category would be, but I know girls who will spend money that they should have spent on rent and they spend it on fillers. So this is clearly like up there in terms of like addiction or things that like people put a priority on. So like, could they get away with 5% pricing power per annum? I think so. And I think the benefit also comes on like the side of the person who's operating the med spot, because then you can also raise your prices too and say, oh no, it wasn't me. That's, that's, that's you vote, right? But you can get away with them raising prices. And then also the, 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 um, the, the person who's like giving the service can also raise their prices and kind of get away with it. And so I think that the growth can, can, can be massive because this trend hasn't even played out in places like India or like, 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 you know what I mean? In Asia, really like in, in Korea and in China. Yes. But like, even still like Korea is probably saturated, but like other places in the world, like this hasn't really taken off. Right. There's a few, uh, I forget. I mean, Korea might be the one, but there's a few Asian uh, regions that are really heavy into this type of stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I know one for sure, like India, it's not big at all. Um, but if you like, so like Nick Jonas married like Priyanka Chopra, like that girl is not natural, right? She's got like fake lips. She had her nose done. She's probably got fake tits. Like, you know what I mean? Like she's now a role model to like those girls over there. And like, you're probably going to see an acceleration of spend as they get richer. I think that's one of the things that you see is like, as a society gets richer or as a country gets richer, then these are the things that they start to spend money on. Oh, it's an interesting thesis. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, this is just a byproduct of Instagram, I guess. It's another way to invest in it. Um, yeah, you have anything else in that list, Ryan? No, that's it for me. Wrap-up questions? Yeah. Wrap up. All right, we just have one question. Uh, we try to ask these to all our guests. What is one financial saying that you disagree with? Um, I disagree with the the saying that you shouldn't put all your eggs into one basket. I think you should put all your eggs into one basket. You should watch that basket very carefully. And if you look at all of the greatest investors of all times, they have always had very large concentrated positions in things that they had conviction in. Um, 
and in things where like there was asymmetry. So um, I guess like that's that's what I would say. Be be concentrated and bet big when you have the odds. Swing at the fat pitch. Right, and that, that to be clear for anyone listening, that means when the opportunity presents itself, you can't <laughs> being concentrated into just some. You know, fifty times sales SaaS stock might not be. Uh, I mean, you never you never know. But uh, yeah, the fat pitch they're not they're not everywhere. But I think that was great. Um, thank you, Sin Stock. Right. Yeah. No, that's it. Thanks. Uh, thanks for coming on. Where can people find you uh, if they want to look at more of your research? Um, so thank you first of all for having me on again, uh, and thanks for giving me this platform to speak. Um, they can find me at Sin Stock Poppy, all one word, on Twitter. Um, and then in my bio, there's a link to my Substack. And then the first post that I'll be writing will be on Swedish Match. So if you guys want to learn more about the industry and just kind of more longer form stuff, uh, there's some shorter form stuff on Twitter, but I'm going to be going a lot deeper on this post. Um, just, you know, so, so people can, I guess, also learn like maybe what to exp- like what what a longer form thesis might look like also, right? For an educational perspective, if there are retail investors who don't know what they should be looking for, this kind of highlights like what you should be looking for. Okay. All right. I'm excited to read it. Yep. Thanks again. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Cheers, guys. This episode is brought to you by Onnit. You have goals to become stronger, healthier, and more mindful. And the best way to start is with you. And that's why you use Onnit's Alpha Brain. It's a dietary supplement that helps support cognitive functions like memory, mental speed, and focus. Available in capsules, powder, or a ready-to-drink shot, Alpha Brain comes in various forms, so you're always ready to achieve your flow state. And for something more premium, Onnit's Alpha Brain Black Label features a refined formula that supports attention span, learning, and long-term memory. It also helps you achieve a state of relaxed alertness that lets you zero in on tasks without feeling jittery. A little better every day with Onnit. Go to onnit.com today and enter code SPOTIFY to save cash and find your flow state. All right, welcome back in. Thanks again to Sinstock Poppy for joining us. Hope to have him on again. Uh, But we're going to get to our stories and I'll kick things off. This week, Tencent, uh, the big gaming... WeChat conglomerate. Basically everything everything conglomerate in China. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, They were set to have a gaming merger between their two companies. Uh, So they're not exactly their two companies, but they have majority stakes. Um, And the companies are Hoya, or I might be butchering that, and Duoyu. Um, And so Hoya is the number one video game live streaming platform in China. Think kind of like a Twitch, I guess. And then Duoyu is a similar concept, but it's the second largest. And they were set to merge to kind of become one. However, that got blocked this week. Uh, And so what would have happened is Duoyu would have become a wholly owned subsidiary subsidiary of Hoya. And Tencent would own uh, apparently 67.5% stake in the newly merged company. But last night, it was announced that the Chinese antitrust regulator is preparing to block the merger. Some sites reported, and it's not super clear why it's being blocked. Uh, yeah, there's sometimes there's the the translation stuff. It doesn't really flow well going from English to Chinese. Right? Yeah, one site reported that Tencent was unable to find a sufficient remedy to meet the state market regulatory authority's requirements for waiving its exclusive rights. Sounds like a lot of legal jargon, but... Uh, 
that's to say that this did not go through. And the two, co- and I think they're going to refile, but I'm not totally sure. And the two companies had a combined market value of six billion dollars. Now, I don't think this is a massive deal because mergers get blocked all the time, um, and it's not like the case of fraud or anything like that. But does it kind of add to the level of uncertainty with China? Because Tencent has a good relationship with the government over there. And it can really happen to anyone. Yeah, if you would have to force me nowadays to invest in one Chinese company, I think I would pick Tencent. A lot of people might pick Alibaba, but there's just those worry. I just worry about some of the stuff with that company. Um, and that's probably why it trades at such a low multiple. But yeah, it's not a big deal for Tencent. It's probably not a big deal in general. The, I think the concern is, and we'll probably talk this with Didi, is there's no set rules. Like, there, you know, the government interferes in the United States and in Europe with businesses, but it's usually, it's, or not usually, it always is under, you know, laws that have been set beforehand. And it seems like in China, it's kind of whatever the government wants to do sometimes. So you can get surprised negatively. And that's just kind of it throws in some uncertainty as an investor. And then as someone from the West as well, I've probably said this before, but you feel like you're the last one to know. You feel like you're in the dark, even yeah. if it's just because you live over here. It's just really hard to understand these companies from my point of view. Um, and you would, I would have, I bet some people in China that invest over there could see this type of thing coming. You know, they could see the writing on the wall, but it would have been a total surprise for me. And that's just not something I would want to invest in. It feels, uh, I don't know, spec- not speculating. It just feels risky like because I don't have any information. Yeah. All right. Well, that was kind of just not a huge headline, but I want to get to yours because no, this, this was the story of the week. This is huge. Yeah. So Robinhood S1 dropped, which is, if you don't know, the document you have to file before a company goes public for their IPO. And this is, you know, the most wild, maybe riskiest company out there at the moment. That and I don't mean riskiest from an investment perspective, although you could probably argue it is. Yeah. It's just kind of the tactics they use as a company. Uh, so here is a serious one from the risk factors. I'm going to read them. There are a lot of quotes here, but I think it kind of encapsulates, or gosh, am I using that term right? The what Robinhood is doing, some of the risks there, and obviously it's the risk factor. So here's a first one. It's a serious one. Quote, because a majority of our revenue is transaction-based, including payment for order flow, reduced spreads and securities pricing, reduced levels of trading activity generally, changes in our business relationships with market makers, and any new regulation of or any bans on payment for order flow may result in reduced profitability for our company. And then it goes on and on a little bit more. Transaction rebates were 81% of their revenue in the past quarter. Any thoughts on that? Does that kind of leave some regulatory risk here? What's the rest of the 19% like margin? Uh, it's probably like, like yeah, Robinhood Gold or whatever. They have that gold thing that's a, it's pretty small, I believe. I haven't looked at the financials. Hard, <laughs> very, uh, uh, I don't know. I didn't take a good look at the financials because I don't really care about this for this company. It's kind of more of how it operates for all the people that are participating in investing like us. But I think it's probably net interest income, stuff like that. But the majority of the business are these transaction rebates. Yeah, that's not overly surprising. I, I don't know. When you read that risk factor, it makes it seem like the payment for order flow concept is one that uh, people are looking to get rid of. 
Some people are. Some people are. I mean, it's got a dark connotation. It's kind of just... But if you don't have it, you're going to have to pay commission. So I'd really rather have it as someone that doesn't trade that much. And the other thing, when you're reading that, it's it, it reads like we need transactions. Like exactly. That's, and we're going to do what we can to get transactions, uh, including some sort of gamifying tactics, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, I, I don't know if you have this in here, but they call them monetizable daily active users, which is... No, no finance company does that. Well, yeah, <laughs> I I don't know what that. That's a tough look. I don't know. They're just. It seems like what this company is FS one. <laughs> they're in the. Uh, they might be the in the deepest within the Silicon Valley bubble. If you had to rank the companies, I maybe rank Uber two, something like that, where they're just kind of, in my opinion, and I could be wrong, they're kind of acting delusionally, or delusional. Excuse me. And delusionally. <laughs> yeah, I just made up a word too. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, all right. Some other risk factors. Yeah, so this one's basically in every one, and it says we're involved in numerous litigation matters that are expensive, time-consuming, could harm our reputation, business, financial condition, whatever. I think almost every large company has that. It's pretty boilerplate, but I believe they have, what, 1,600 lawsuits currently. They have a bunch of other things going on. The reason that I brought this one up is – we're in a really hot bull market. Most people are satisfied. What happens to the lawsuits, to the people complaining, to the customer support issues that we know can get pretty tragic? What happens to that in a bear market? Everyone's making money right now. If a lot of people start losing money, I, I could this 10x? Could these lawsuits you know, just go crazy? Yeah, but so far when I look through all the lawsuits, it's all settlements. So I guess if there's enough customers to make up for it where they can just settle on everything. A little bit like Facebook where they get, yeah, I don't know. But, man, that just feels, again, that they're playing a dangerous balancing act. Uh, I'll get to this next one. I think this one highlights the bad incentives that a company like Robinhood has. And this is they have to say like this, so it's kind of stark. Many of our customers are first-time investors and our trading volumes and revenues could be reduced if these customers stop trading altogether or stop using our platform for their investing activities. So they're incentivized to get people to trade as much as possible, which in general or on average, I guess, uh, you know, there's all those studies out there that the more you trade, typically the worse you do. So it seems like they're incentivizing their customers to act not in their best interests. My only pushback is that how's that different from the old brokerage houses? Oh, it's the same. Yeah, that's that that one's not that different, but they're using way more gamification. Yeah, I guess they're better. I guess there's better. Less transparency as well, a little more deceptiveness in this way of making money. Yeah, that is true. I, the old brokerage houses, I mean, totally did this and a lot of other people will try to convince you to do this. So they're not the only evil one here. But, yeah, it seems worse when they're kind of, um, what you would call it, gaslighting the, you know, their customer base by saying we're democratizing finance, we're helping out these people, when in reality they might not be. I don't know. What other uh, risk okay, factors? Yeah, there? so this one we get to the crypto stuff, which is always um, 
Interesting. Interesting. Interesting to hear what you see, think about this one. Uh, quote, the loss, destruction, or unauthorized use or access of a private key required to access any of our cryptocurrencies may result in irreversible loss of such cryptocurrencies. If we are unable to access our private keys or if we experience a hack or other data loss relating to the cryptocurrencies we hold on behalf of customers, our customers may be unable to trade their cryptocurrency and our reputation and business could be harmed. Now, this is with all anyone that holds, you know, Coinbase probably has this as well. All the other uh, broker, uh, crypto exchanges have this. But it is, I could be totally wrong here because it could be multiple keys. But are is it all relying on this one private key? And if they lose the password, isn't 20, I mean, 25% of Bitcoin is basically dead because the passwords, uh, people have lost their passwords. It's kind of just uh, not accessible, which on its own is insane. But it's it, is Robin at risk of just losing a password here? That feels a bit crazy to me. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was just on a sticky note on Vlad Tanev's computer <laughs> on his well, it's like, you know, he, he's like a memento, or you may not have seen that movie, but he tat they have to tattoo it on his body just so he can't miss it. Although that would be pretty dangerous because then people could hack them very easily. Actually, can't do that because that'd be a big risk in and yeah. of itself. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. And then we, okay, we have one more here, and this is possibly the best risk factor in the history of risk factors uh i think matt levine had the best tweet where he said things are just incredibly stupid something along those lines uh here it goes quote a substantial portion of the recent growth in our net revenues earned from cryptocurrency transactions is attributable to transactions in dogecoin if demand for transactions in dogecoin declines and is not replaced by new demand for other cryptocurrencies available for trading on our platform our business financial conditions and results of operations could be adversely affected now that's hilarious in and of itself but when your business is relying on dogecoin that concerns me this, a bit yeah i mean other than the fact that they're able to send push notifications and it's almost like they create an addiction with their users this feels like the most fragile business of all time. I know. And at, people, at this stage. Oh, Bullmar. Oh, for sure. And people have been highlighting kind of feel that around in the tech bubble, taking up old screenshots of like E-Trade, revenue up 120% in 1998, you know, or, or yeah. 1999. And maybe, maybe that means that the bubble can keep going, but... Well, yeah. And it's one thing. So what, are the, what was the valuation they're seeking or whatever? 50, like 50 billion. billion. 50x sales on a brokerage. It, yeah, so that's... And they... for Okay, granted, they forex revenue last year, but you, it's not the same as a subscription service. Can you name a more fragile business other than Nikola that one week <laughs> that has that would reach a $50 billion market cap? Uh, mm, well, I'd have to think about the yes, one... Maybe Tesla be. in its early years. Yeah, Tesla... But I, wouldn't, I would not say Tesla's as fragile now as Right, right, is. right. They have, yeah, they have proven to have more of a business than a lot of people like, like ourselves have thought. Um, gosh, I don't know. It seems like you're just... This is a, an easy way to get a 3x... Whatever levered, what what are those ETFs? Robinhood is essentially a three X levered bet on like market sentiment. It's kind of strange. I, I don't know why someone would write that. It feels totally speculative on guessing what. Long Robinhood, you might as well just be long the VIX. Like I think yeah. they're pretty much like uh, supplements to one another. Maybe, maybe it might be the opposite though. Because when, when stuff gets wild, people flock to Robinhood. That's true. That's true. When things get wild, there's going to be may, probably a lot more trading activity. And they could do well. 
but on the, if, if markets are tanking, then they might lose a lot of customers. I don't know. It just seems like you're betting, you're speculating on what market, other market participants' behavior are going to be. And maybe Robinhood's clearly the best at getting people to trade. So, you know, it's kind of like Facebook. They're the best at yeah, getting they people addicted to those apps. But Hundreds of millions of dollars on engineers instead of customer support. That's true. That's true. All right. Well, I'm going to move to my story. So this week there was a conversation, or last week, I guess this might have been... Well, it was taped uh, like yeah, a month ago. It was taped a while ago, and everyone was treated like treating it like a live conversation. But Warren and Charlie, uh, Warren, Mu- Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger sat down with Becky Quick, uh, and there was this basically one-hour segment on CNBC called The Wealth of Wisdom. We thought there'd be some big announcement. I think everyone kind of thought that. Uh, and they covered a lot of stuff, but there was no big announcement. We thought they were going to acquire Hershey. Yeah, because there was that rumor of the plane landing. I think we discussed that. But if it was taped way before this, then there's no chance. Yeah, and so uh, anyway, there were a lot of sound bites that came out of this and a lot of FinTwit coverage of people trying to, I guess, cancel Charlie Munger because he did say a few things that were – he talked about – I guess they weren't – they're not popular opinions. Yeah, some of the positive things or I guess some of the things he thinks communist China has done well. Um, He's not afraid to talk about it, yeah. Yeah, do you think the backlash on Charlie was warranted – or do you think know, people need to stop overthinking what a 97-year-old, like, yeah. like I, I don't, don't think know. he can ruin his reputation at this point. I don't know. He might be able to ruin his reputation because you can do that, but he is 97. I don't know. I really, What's weird is, like, at that Daily Journal meeting this year, I thought he had some great points, pretty entertaining, but when you listen to the old Berkshire meetings, you realize that the it's just not the same as it used to be, they're just too old. Even Warren, too. Um, it's not the same. I, I, I would rather, I don't know, the man's 97. I, I Come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, if I don't take anything I say seriously, when I'm 97, I'd be so out of any perspective of what society is like. Um, obviously, these guys are going to have tons of wisdom. From but the past, I mean, they have the best. At, you this, know, a- at this, this age, it's going to be sprinkled in with some lapses oh for sure i mean think if it was like 2080 2090 i'm gonna have no one <laughs> should ever listen to what someone who would be us our age then like oh i don't know the guy was born before the great depression it's just <laughs> tough to listen to he's obviously he's got a lot of wisdom and it's but it is a bit strange to me that he's got this you know wealth of knowledge and he's read the whatever like two three hours a day for his whole life or for the latter half of his life, and he comes to these conclusions, it's interesting to me. You know what I mean? It's kind of surprising. Yeah. Uh, did you take anything away from the interview that you actually liked? I mean, it was no. obviously <laughs> kind of random. It was random. There wasn't really any purpose to it, but... I don't know, yeah. Maybe it was just... They t- uh, I don't know, they're just being nice to CNBC for hosting kind of the, the annual meeting, but they really... Yeah. I don't know. It's really CNBC should be thanking Berkshire because it's kind of, you know, the biggest event of the year in finance or one of the biggest. I didn't take away anything. I don't know. Charlie was like, I like Zoom. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it it was weird. I thought it was uh, I thought the stuff about uh, the business, the businesses that they all owned at the start dying. Was oh, actually, yeah, that, that was good. Yeah. Yeah. And then 10K Diver on Twitter kind of did a nice thread on it. And, you know, basically the. 
most businesses will fail. Like all businesses, people, people uh, actually don't appreciate that. All businesses will fail eventually unless time stops. And I don't think time's going to stop. I mean, like on a long enough timeline, every business is going to fail. But true. And it, well, it kind of. Do you think it gives a good? Um, well, the way they were talking about it, you know, they've been in these businesses for so long. It kind of encapsulates that if you're investing in something from say the inception to bankruptcy, the value has to converge on how much excess cash it generates. Yeah. It can't be anything else. Which is a good. I think it's a good way to frame it. They probably. I mean, they have an advantage because they just get to own these businesses, like that Buffalo newspaper sees candy and it just generates cash, and there's no outside market that can really affect the or you know you know what I mean. Yeah. It's all just based on the cash it generates. Um, and as outside investors, we can't sometimes you know play that simple of a game. But I don't know. Yeah, that was probably the best part. But overall. Uh, Kind of it was a weird. Was, it was a weird dynamic. I don't know what was going on there. All right, what's your next story? Okay, short one, uh, but it is about Chinese um, uh, regulators taking That's down right. a company again. So China takes down Didi, ride-hailing company. Uh, it is the Uber of China that actually had a big-time competition with Uber, and then Uber left China and took a stake in Didi. Very interesting. But Beijing decided to halt new user signups and kicked Didi off of all the app stores. Uh, the reasoning was a cybersecurity review. And then I believe there was some things that now it's not, it's unclear what's true or not, but there was some good tweets out there about people speculating that they really kind of overstepped their bounds and they weren't supposed to um, go list on the New York Stock Exchange before doing this review, right? So this could be punishment for that. But curiously, this was enacted two days after the stock's IPO in New York City. I'll be interested to see how the stock moves tomorrow, uh, which I guess would be today when we're listening. Seems like it's going to take a huge hit. I don't know. Any thoughts on this? No. Wall Street Journal covered it pretty well. There's a good article in there if you feel free to read it. Uh, And it sounds like they were warned like before the listing on the New York Stock Exchange. So they defied have the cybersecurity review done, and basically they were getting pressure from investors to list, and so they did it anyways. They defied the government. They kind of told them, like, "Hey, don't do this. Just wait." Usually, usually, usually a bad decision. I mean, this is Jack Ma's any indicator. This is yeah, and it's crazy. Again, it's crazy that Munger can have these views, and but the evidence is right there that it seems a bit. Um, but let me, it doesn't seem great. I don't know. It, it seems like it's. Uh, but how can you invest in these companies? That leads to my next story, which is like, all right. So we just there was more development in the Lordstown Motors thing this week. Uh, so federal prosecutors decided that they will be taking a look. Uh, I guess uh, opening an inquiry into Lordstown Motors. There we go. Um, but what would you rather have? them do that after the fact, after they've taken money from retail investors? Because mm, uh, think about how delayed this is. Or yeah. The the government stepping in and saying no, you're not gonna you're not gonna listen until we say you can. Mm, well, I think the I think I think the clear I think the be, I think the clear difference is that uh, there's set laws in the in the West and in China there yeah they obviously have rules and regulations but you yeah, can but, kind of make those up as you want which adds a lot more uncertainty and yeah people can game the rules in the U S yeah. but they're supposed to be at least. Uh, like guy laws that 
can't be changed unless you go through the democratic process, all that stuff, you know. Yeah, it's just been so gamed recently. I think that's where when it, when you read through like the Lordstown stuff or you read through all the SPAC prospectuses of companies where the founder was a prosecuted criminal before or they'd been kicked off by a board of another scummy company and they're out here doing it again, raising money uh, from retail investors. That's where I see the influence of government being helpful. Having like, a bigger hammer that you yeah, can strike Being able quicker. to say, no, you can't just take advantage yeah. of those people. I mean, that's definitely a, posit- yeah, definitely a positive. I think on a net and, basis, it's better. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, and that's Charlie, But Charlie also said, he's like, you know, I don't want the whole system. I just want the crack- yeah. their crackdowns on financial markets. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I bet that soundbite kind of got taken a little farther. I mean, he obviously doesn't support the genocide if that's going on, like people are speculating. But I don't know. It's weird. It's so weird, especially with all this news recently, and then he has those takes. Maybe that was recorded earlier. It is a bit strange, and he kind of liked the government going after Jack Ma, which I didn't really agree with. But I don't know. Anything else on Lordstown here? No. All right, what do you have? Last one? Yeah. No. You, you, all right. You I, I'm. I'm. Yeah. Lordstown. There wasn't really anything stu- substantive other than the federal prosecutors opening an inquiry. All right. Well, should be exciting. Please, <laughs> please stop speculating. EV specs. It's a bit ridiculous, but I guess we can't tell you what to do. Uh, all right. Finish this up. A fun one. All the rich guys are going to space. Uh, Richard Branson is front running Bezos and going to space in a Virgin Galactic ship on July 11th. Really not much to say about these companies, or about this, except that these companies feel like hobbies for billionaires, and I'm not sure that makes them investable. It's a, like, we're going to shoot this guy up into space. Okay, how much is that going to cost? Yeah, I don't think... Cool, that's cool, but I don't know. I don't think rushing to get into space before your billionaire friend does is really a good idea. I'm not, I would never want to rush in. I, I'm not going to space. Space. Just, just <laughs> I'll be the, to I'll coddle be the, your ego. It, I mean, <laughs> this seems like something where you should take your time. Yeah, I'll be the millionth person to go to space. I will not. I, I will not be the first. But I guess these are kind of brazen, you know, risk-taking CEOs. Branson, I don't really like. He kind of seems like an egomaniac. <laughs> you know, jet skiing with naked models in the Caribbean and stuff. It's a bit strange. What about Zuck? Zuck with his American flag. <laughs> that was cool. I didn't really watch the whole video. Just seeing the screenshots. Uh, well, those, th- those he, things aren't easy to use either. So, testament to his athleticism. I think his PR department is doing a fine job. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, definitely. I mean, nothing he does is just on a whim. Uh, but last question: Will Elon? Do you think be forced to join the party here? Uh, do you think? I no, think he, can't, the, he won't resist. He he's in the worst. Well, I, I do think it probably hurts him mentally to see it, but. He's in a different position because he is still at the helm of Tesla. Mm, that's true. That's true. So he went. I guess Richard Branson's at the helm of Virgin. Maybe, maybe he might. He might just be chairman. I'm not exactly sure. I went. But I mean, Bezos. It was smart of Bezos to step down before doing this. That Um, would be. This is. I mean, it's really risky. It's a risky endeavor. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I guess that's true. But as we know with Elon, he sometimes does not do things. Just because they're rich. I mean, I wouldn't put it past him to do this while he's still the CEO of Tesla. I mean, he's basically been able to do whatever he wants the last three years. So, you know, I, he, 
may not have he may not be able to resist like everyone's gonna be like dude don't do it don't do it and he's just gonna tweet like it's gonna, he's gonna he's gonna be watching that video of bezos and his brother like oh, do you want to yeah. go to space with me <laughs> <laughs> me kimball ran to mars oh man it's just crazy this the space stuff's uh it'll be it'll be fun to watch it play out i wouldn't be surprised be. if all of them were delayed honestly Oh, man. I mean, yeah. I would have second thoughts. I feel like Virgin Galactic's had a lot of delays on a bunch of flights. Yeah, and they're not even real. <laughs> like they're space. kind of planes, yeah. I think. Uh, I could be wrong. Uh, but, gosh, what was I going to say on that? Oh, I, when I'm watching, I'm going to be super nervous, too. I mean, yeah. uh, gosh, I cannot imagine. It'd be cool to watch, though. Oh, I, yeah. Oh, that's like <laughs> a week away, isn't it? It's uh, this weekend, I think, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, should right. be exciting. Well, I think that's going to do it. Thanks again to Sinstock Poppy for coming on. Thanks if you listened all the way through. We are uh, general partners at Arch Capital, so clients may have positions in the securities discussed on this podcast. We are not financial advisors. Anything we say or discuss here on Chit Chat Money is not formal advice or recommendation. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next time. 